Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket Live with me, Simon Hughes, and you, Simon Mann. And if you're watching this, you can see us both. So, hello, Simon. Everything, everything all right there? Absolutely. You're not feeling too good today, are you? No, not feeling great, but um, yeah, we soldier on. It's not COVID, by the way. It's just a wretched cold. Well, it's that sort of weather, isn't it? But I'm glad to say we've got lots of cricket to talk about uh, here on this programme. And that's the idea of this show is we're going to talk cricket and we want to talk with you, the viewers and obviously uh, the listeners. We're going to record this as a podcast as well. So if you are listening to it on the podcast, obviously the email address actually Simon Hughes at thecricketer.com is the best email for us. Uh, but obviously we want you to, to put some uh, comments on the chat box as well or ask us questions. We've got a question already, which we'll answer later. And we've got a packed show actually tonight because we're talking about ball tampering. Uh, we're talking about the art of commentary. And we've got a couple of experts other than us. Uh, we're sort of, you know, apprentices in this world. We've got a couple of real experts to talk about it. And also, we're just going to discuss uh, the IPL, the Vitality Blast, which is going on at the moment as well. They managed to get play underway on the reserve day at Edgebaston and Surrey already through to the final. And now it's uh, Lancashire against Knotts. Lancashire going, well, quite well, actually, 89 before. And they're just about to finish their 11th over, which is at the end of the innings. So that match is interestingly poised. Knotts will have to chase about 90-odd to win. Um, lots, as I say, happening in the cricket world. Um, please give us your comments on the chat box. Uh, anything that you want to talk about, we'll try and pick up on. Um, we're both in our homes, of course, here. Um, Simon Mann is obviously got his library behind him. I've got my memorabilia, some pictures there. of Actually, that's the World Cup final uh, uh, in, the, in one corner there. With Ben Stokes actually featured right around there. You can see uh, that's Owen Morgan. And then there on that far left is Ben Stokes, uh, The actually the cover of the Cricketer magazine uh, in uh, that uh, event when England won the World Cup. 
Ben Stokes, of course, is a talking point. Um, I was with the owner of the Rajasthan Royals yesterday watching a rather dismal performance by the Rajasthan Royals. And uh, as we were watching it, he said to me, Stokes is on the plane to, uh, to out to the UAE. He's finally decided to leave the family nest and his father. And interestingly, Simon, it was his father, Jed, who, who told him he should go, partly because he felt you know, it was his duty, really. And he'd done his uh, stint with the family. And also because Jed loves the IPL and he wants to watch it with his son playing in it. Yeah, well, I mean, he's been away, he's been in New Zealand for a really long time now. Uh, he left the England team, uh, you know, towards the end of the summer, and the IPL without him uh, is well. It, it needs. I think Rajasthan Royals need him as well. They need him to play. And Jed, of course, is a you know, huge backer of uh, Ben's career. I think well, one of the interesting things is that people have just left him alone. I mean, there has been no news of Ben Stokes until. He broke the news in his mirror column with Dean Wilson uh, over the weekend. And I know you'll be speaking to Manoj Badali. He's on his way and he's got to isolate for a week before he can play. Is that right? Yeah, I think he's actually uh, targeting the 14th of October as his first game against Delhi Daredevils. Uh, oh, sorry, they're, they're actually known as the Capitals now, Delhi Capitals. And so he'll have to sort of basically isolate for about a, a six days and then get into training. He's been training in uh, New Zealand with, I think it's Sutherland or Sunderland Cricket Club. I think it's Sutherland in Christchurch, which is his old club. So he hopefully should have you know, a reasonable degree of, of fitness, but uh, he'll have to get up to speed quickly because the Royals, having won their first two games, lost the next two. So uh, they'll need him really badly and they're, they're really missing him. It's a great, it's a great thing, though. That he's, I, I think it must have been a hard decision, actually, for him to have to to know when to leave because he's gone there, you know, for very much to, to, to show support to his father and emotional support and all that. And it must be really hard to know when to leave again. Yeah. Really, really difficult situation. R really hard. Um, what, what do you do in a situation like that without actually, I mean, without knowing more details about uh, the illness, it's, it's hard to say, isn't it really? So it's not really worth uh, speculating, but he has been over there for, for a long time now. He's been out of cricket for, for quite a long time since the, the test series, um, back in the summer, I remember him leaving after the Manchester Test match against Pakistan. Hello to Mick, who's joined us, and to uh, Paul as well. We'll get, we'll get on to your question, Mick, a little uh, in, in a short while. Yeah, and and hello to Andrew, Andrew Fothergill. Fothers, good to hear, hear you and see you on online, and have actually worked out the technology. And you can uh, you can speak to each other, uh, of course, uh, on the chat box. You don't have to just talk to us. So the whole point of this, in a way, is to try and create a bit of a community and and get an exchange of information going. This is our new venture. We're thinking of do it doing it once a week, maybe on a Thursday night, especially during the winter when there's no cricket to enjoy, to get to, no club dinners or anything as well. Uh, clubs are going to have to be sort of shut down pretty much for the winter. So we want to just try and keep the cricket conversation going with any sort of subjects that you want to talk about. One of the, the topics that has certainly come up, and you have brandished your ball there to, to illustrate that, is the ball tampering issue. Mitch Clayden of Sussex, uh, who was banned for six games, sort of almost posthumously after his uh, indiscretion in a championship game, a Bob Willis trophy game. So what was he doing for a start? He was trying to rub uh, sanitizer, hand sanitizer on the ball. What was the point of that? Well, I've actually got some hand sanitizer here. I thought what I'd actually do is try and rub some on the ball and see if it actually has any effect. So here I am with the ball. And actually, I mean, obviously, you're not going to be able to do this 
in a in a county game because it's totally kind of uh, ostentatious. So you'd have to try and do it surreptitiously. But then if you then rub it on your on your jeans or your trousers, you should be able to get a reasonable shine on it. It's quite a it's quite a dull shine, I have to say. It's not really kind of the shine the shine I'd hope to get. And it leaves a pretty greasy mark. It makes the ball smell nice. I suppose that's one slight advantage. What's he trying to do? Um, well, obviously, he's trying to get a polish. What, what, what is any bowler trying to do? He's trying to get a polish on one side and, and keep the other side rougher. And I can share my screen here, actually, because somebody very much cleverer than me, uh, a guy down at Bath University in the mechanical engineering department, the aerodynamics department, in fact, drew a very complicated graphic um, show, trying to illustrate swing. Um, and I'm going to try and uh, share my screen and show you this graphic. So um, here, hopefully it is. I don't know if you can see that. If I share my screen now. Can you see that, Simon? Yep, the, um, that. Yep. the two types of swing. So uh, on the left, we've got conventional swing with the shiny side at the bottom and the rough side at the top. And obviously, the conventional swing, what happens is if you look at the left-hand side of that graphic, the air travels quicker across the shiny side and there's more turbulence across the rougher side. So the ball is dragged towards the turbulent side. That's kind of the, the very rough, uh, fairly non-scientific explanation. But it's, it's all about boundary layers, the, the, the air passing across the ball slightly quicker on the bottom side there and it says laminar flow streamlined so the air passing quicker on the long the bottom and slightly kind of turgid air turbulent air along the top of the ball dragging the ball with the rough side it also helps that the the uh, seam is tilted because that acts as a rudder for the swing so that's the kind of swing that mitch clayton was trying to get by applying the uh, sanitizer on the bottom of the ball, which obviously is illegal. You're not supposed to apply anything that is not uh, a natural substance. You're not supposed to apply sun cream, although I must admit I did once or twice in my career, not that it helped particularly. Now, on the right-hand side, uh, we've got that art of reverse swing, which is a science which really nobody understands. It's very difficult to explain. But this uh, scientist at Bath University did his best with this drawing and basically, over time, on a very dry pitch, a very rough pitch, abrasive pitch, the ball gets pitted and, and really scratched up on both sides. It's very important to try and keep the rough but shiny side, the bottom of that diagram, uh, as dry as possible. And then the, the other side, the top side there, has become rougher and rougher over time. They've just allowed it to really deteriorate. And what you actually get in the end is because of the, the, there is um, super turbulence on that very rough side, and the super turbulence actually creates a sort of bouncing effect and bounces the ball in the other direction, makes it curve in the other direction. So if we go back to the left-hand diagram again, the turbulence causes the swing to one way, but the super turbulence bounces it to swing the other way. And that is a, a very layman's explanation but hopefully that kind of makes it tiny bit clearer for one or two people who hadn't got a clue about it. Or maybe it's just totally confused everybody. What do you think, Simon? Well, OK. So which side were the Australians applying their sandpaper then? Well, they were trying to apply it to the rougher side. I mean, I've got a, 
a really rough, pretty rough ball here. So, you know, they were trying to, to really uh, scratch up this very rough side to make it super rough and then cause it to bounce against the rough side or swing against the rough side to create reverse swing. And obviously it, it, it happens more with the, the sort of white, actually it happens more with the white ball. So this white ball here, you can see as is quite badly scratched. And often you find white balls and uh, the, the, the kookaburra balls and which are pink ones and white ones tend to scuff up much more than the Duke's balls, which are handmade and tend not to scuff nearly as much. Well, I mean, of course, now we have to decide, was it a fair penalty? Because the penalties for ball tampering, which is effectively what rubbing sanitizer on the ball is, are, are quite random in a way. Um, you know, the sandpaper gate ban was for quite a significant amount of time, but this one was nine games. Yeah, and he'd already served, by the time it, it, it's come out, he's already served six matches of that ban. And then I think he's only got to serve two games at, at the start of next season. But I mean, it is the, it is the biggest ban that a player has been given it for match fixing, uh, match fixing for uh, ball, ball <laughs> tampering. Slip. Well, yeah, for ball tampering in this country. Um, the question from Mick is, is, you know, why ball tampering isn't considered a more serious breach of the laws? Uh, surely cheating of any sh- sort should be severely punished. I'm mean, interested to see actually what Mick thinks Mitchell Clayton's punishment should be. Uh, mm. The Australians, they were they were banned for a year. I mean, I actually thought that was too long. I thought that was really, really harsh. Uh, of course, it was transgressing the laws, but a, a year ban for doing something that actually all bowlers try to do. I know, or, or I say all yeah. bowlers. Well, a lot of bowlers try to do it. You said it yourself. You know, you applied sun cream. Mm. I mean, there's talk of I the seam. I mean, we tried to pick the seam. You, 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 you know, obviously you're not allowed to do that either. But the seam is is actually almost more important, funnily enough, than the shine because the more you can pick the seam, the more that rudder can really act in a very bold way Explain to actually help the ball to Picking the seam. Picking the seam is is sort of by. Well, I shouldn't be telling you this. This is like burglars' tricks, isn't it? But you know, basically by running your fingers, your fingernail underneath the seam here to lift it up so that the seam is prouder. And actually, there was a chap I played with at Ealing Creek Club. I won't name him, but he played in the Middlesex League quite often. And his job, he was a rubbish cricketer. He batted and bowled very poorly. His main job was fielding at gully with a very strong thumbnail to pick the seam. Um, so, you know, it, it happened forever in the game. And I don't know, I, I sort of think... I don't mind a bit of sun cream rubbed on the ball personally. I, I think, you know, you shouldn't be. The difference with that sort of Australian scenario and the sandpaper gate was it was so blatant, yeah. you know, to bringing something on an external um, device or implement or a piece of sandpaper in this case, you know, to bring that out and to deliberately have this intent to scratch the ball with something like that. I mean, if you're just using your fingernails or a bit of sun cream on your, from your forehead or I mean, I don't, I don't. I think that's hard to police, really. Well, if you're actually bringing things on extra implements to do it with, then that's blatant cheating. It's a it's a grey area, isn't it? The 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 sun cream because you you've got sun cream on your you know on your forehead, on your cheeks, on your nose, and you're going to sweat, and you're allowed to put sweat on the ball. So it's it's you know it's a really great. It's the same with the sweets, isn't it? You know yeah, you're allowed to put yeah. saliva on the ball. Players, yeah. you know, we we know for a fact that in 2005 Ashes. The England players suck sweets, and 
you know, mm. the ball the ball did swing. Now, what what are we to say about that? Is that you know? Yeah, and and the um the twelfth man who brought out sugar free Murray Mint by mistake was quickly sacked. Was promptly sacked because there's no point having you know non sugary uh, sweets to try and polish the ball with. Anyway, I mean it's an interesting issue. It's going to one one that's going to run and run because bowlers will always try their best to uh, bend the rules and and try and find ways to make the ball move. I, I've got a, not much sympathy with Mitch Clayton because he was doing something, obviously, that, that wasn't allowed. And everybody knows that you're not supposed to rub any cream into the ball, whether it's sanitizer or sun cream or Vaseline or anything. Well, what he, what he did was they had these sanitizer breaks where, you know, yeah. you bring, bring out the sanitizer. You, you rub, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to rub, rub it into your hands like that. What I understand he did was he, 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 he put it on his hands and sort of held one hand there and then... You know, when he next in possession, the ball got the ball to did, did that to the ball. So he actually rubbing the sanitizer into the ball. And he was given a, a nine match uh, ban for that. So how much should he been given? Um, back to Mick's question. Um, I mean, you could argue that a nine match ban is a is a severe punishment. Um, mm, yeah, and and, and it's also true. it's also it's also extremely embarrassing, isn't it? As well, because you you've been you know, you're sort of banged to rights. Everybody knows that you're trying to cheat, basically. Mm. Uh, you know, Sean, about- I should I should answer um, Sean, Sean Fisher. Sean yeah. Fisher's asked a question here, actually. Thanks for that, Sean. And he says, "Great explanation." That's the first comment I've ever had for that explanation. Did you ever achieve reverse swing, Simon? I did actually, and funnily enough, we never called it reverse swing in those days. Um, you know, we're talking black and white era, pretty much. And I, I had a, a game, particularly when I played against Pakistan for Middlesex at Lords, and it was a very dry, abrasive pitch in sort of mid-August, I think, and the ball was getting scratched up quite badly. And I was one of those bowlers who did play around with the the grip and the seam position and swing and shiny side and all that to see what would happen, normally because it was flying plumb line straight. So I'd try anything I could to to get the ball to move around. And um, this particular day, I was held it, uh, holding it for an outswinger. So I was holding it with the shiny side on this side here to swing it away the right-hand side to swing it away. And it was swinging the other way, a much older ball than this. It was swinging the opposite direction. So then I flicked it over. So the shiny side was now in a position on the left to swing in, and it swung away. And so I thought, well, fine, great. It's going well. I made the ball move around quite a lot, got about three wickets, and I didn't know what to call it. So I just told the other bowlers, and one or two of them found it worked as well. So we just said, well, today it's... um, the ball's behaving a bit mysteriously, but go with it. And reverse swing really only got christened probably about five, six years after that in the 90s, when, especially when Wazim Akram and Waka Yunis were the masters of it. Yeah, Mick's come back to us. Uh, you know, I, I suppose the fact I didn't consider the fact that guilty player would also have to face other players and crowds, knowing that he's been caught cheating. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is quite embarrassing, but it is very embarrassing for, for Mitch yeah. Clay, as much as anything, isn't it? The fact that he no, has been highlighted that you know his crime or whatever inverted commas has been highlighted we should just talk about the cricket that's going on at the moment uh the chennai super kings going really well in their match against uh kings 11 punjab and they haven't had a great time of it so far the chennai super kings but they they looks of their own course of victory uh in that game and and the blast is going on at the moment i mean it was so wet earlier that surrey gloucestershire match players slipping on the outfield i mean it's amazing that they they're even uh, playing at all and I see knots are just beginning their reply to uh, Lancashire's 
score of 94 for four from their 11 overs and knots are underway. And just talking about knots, there's a question uh, from Chris who says, watching the Blast semi-final, how well does Alex Hales need to do over the next year or so to force his way back into the England team? Well, that, I mean, that is an interesting question. It opens up, it opens up quite a lot, actually, because I, I have the, the, the sense that as long as Owen Morgan is England's uh, T20 captain, Alex Hales will not play. They, I think mm. they, they feel that he let them down badly before the World Cup. And mm. this trust issue. I mean, this, I don't think the story has been fully told, but I, I, I think it, it, perhaps it will be one day um, or perhaps it never will. But um, I think they felt <laughs> they let them down so badly that it, it will not happen, which is, a, you know, it is a huge shame because Alex Hales is, you know, tr- tremendously talented player. And he, I think he does get into England's best T20 side. Well, he might do, but I mean, there's a lot of people now queuing up for that sort of opening number three, number four area. I mean, Joe Root can't even get into that T20 side and you've got Butler. They want to open the batting with Butler, but you've also got Roy, you've got Bairstow, you've got Sam Billings, you've got uh, Tom Banton, you know, so it's going to be tough for him. And I think that, I think he's kissed it goodbye unless he hits incredible amounts of runs. Uh, I, I think he's, I, I agree with you. I think certainly while Morgan's captain, but also, you know, these young guys like Tom Banton are coming up behind as well and, and showing tremendous uh, range of skill and power and confidence. So it's going to be really tough for Alex Hales. Uh, he might just have to, you know, satisfy himself with playing franchise cricket. And I'm sure he'll do very well. I mean, he's, He's hitting the ball quite well so far today. I mean, it's 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 a shame, isn't it? Really, because it, you know, two three years ago, he's playing Test cricket and four day cricket, and he's rather kind of forced himself into a corner, which mm. is it's a shame for him, and it's a shame for the game because he's talented and he's he's great to watch. Yeah, I'm going to disagree with you on that. I mean, I I think he does get in England's best T Twenty Eleven. Uh, I think he's talented enough. I, I, I accept that Tom Banton's coming through. Uh, there's David Milan as well, who's been part of England's uh, top order of late. But I think if Hales, if all things being equal, of course they're not, all things being equal for me, Hales gets in England's best 11. Okay. Right, let's let's answer that question that we had. Well, actually, we've got a couple of questions here. What advice do you have? It doesn't say who, who asked this question. But... Jai. Jai's asked it. Jai, is it? Oh, yeah, Jai, you're right. Yeah, sorry. What advice do you give for a teenager who's played in county age group cricket since nine years old? I think, obviously, that shows you're talented and uh, that you've uh, been recognised by the the county coaches. I think uh, stick at it. I mean, they're going to probably go for some winter training to encourage you to take part in that. I think watch – I would say, actually, if you're a teenager, particularly – I think watch as much cricket as you can. You learn so much from watching it. And I just spend all my life uh, as a teenager watching cricket, watching tests and not much one day cricket was on. I mean, a bit of sort of Benson and Hedges cup or something when I was a kid, but mostly it was, it was the test matches that I watched and I just learned so much and copied bowlers. And I think copy the best players and try out the stuff. And, and Steve Smith's got a, a nice little uh, drill, which, you know, works in lockdown, which is something he, he liked to, to sort of encourage people to do. And that's just a, if you can find a wall anywhere, even indoors or outdoors and just throw the ball, the tennis ball against the wall and just practice hitting it back again. And as the ball rebounds, you time it, then it, then it bounds, it rebounds again and just hit it lots of times, a bit like tennis 
sort of solo tennis practice, but using a cricket bat instead and, and, and tennis ball. Obviously, you have to watch out for China and you know other breakable implements. But um, if, if you can find a space to do that and watch loads of cricket and try copying the best players, whoever they may be, what do you think, Simon? Yeah, well, practice as much as you possibly can. I mean, when I when I think back to when I was 12, 13, 14, if I could have played, if I could, say, gone in the nets and batted every day during the winter in indoor nets, I would love that opportunity. So if you get that opportunity to, to practice as much and develop your skills as much as possible, take it. I mean, we, you know, one of the problems we have in this country is the weather outdoors. You know, you, you, you find a Saturday it's raining, you can't play. Just take every opportunity you possibly can. Um, mm. find, someone yeah. to, find someone to bowl at you and... And, yep. and practice those strokes. Now, let's move on to our other topic here with, with Hales and Duckett going quite well for, for Knotts, 23 for none after the best part of two overs. So that's a racing start for Knotts uh, against Lancashire, chasing 94 to win, 95 to win. Um, how do you become a commentator? Or, you know, what is the best uh, way of being a commentator and and what are the you know the skills of a commentator that are most valuable in a way um commentary has changed hasn't it a bit i mean you watch the ipl and you sometimes cringe really to be honest don't you there's just too much shouting and i i really feel that commentary especially tv commentary should be trying to add to the pictures the, the viewers can see what's happened so to be able to say, oh, it's, it's, there it is, gone over the rope before, it's just so boring. You've got to try and add something by call, saying why something happened or how it happened, not what it happened. What's your what's your take on it, Simon? Well, I, I think one of the things I would say about IPL commentary is that that's how – I, I think there's a sort of Faustian pact with being an IPL commentator is that you're expected to deliver in it in a certain way. And you know you you have to do all the adverts as well, don't you? You know it's a it's a Seat mm. tires timeout, it's a an X Y Z six, or you know it's an X Y Z moment of the match. So if you're going to work for the IPL, you have to a yes a yes bank maximum. Is it you have to yeah. you have to you have to buy into that? So in in a way, I, 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 it's easy to be critical of sometimes of um, commentators do the IPL. There are lots of them because there are lots of matches. But I think just remember that, that, you know, because you want to work, you want to work in the biggest tournament uh, in, in world cricket, uh, the, certainly the biggest domestic tournament in, in world cricket. Uh, you know, it's, it's tremendous the amount of people watching it and the, 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 the money involved is vast and, and the sponsorship deals, all that sort of thing. So you want you want to be part of it. So you, you sort of have to toe the line a bit. You know, you have to you, you have to give it that, that extra uh, extra amount. I mean, I suppose you know, from a, an audience point of view, you could watch it with the sound down, but then that rather, you know, that lessens the experience. So don't don't be so critical of, of the IPL commentators. Uh, I, I agree. I think there's, there's definitely been a move in recent years to talk more on television than, than there was in the past. I mean, there was, you know, Richie Benno's old maxim about not, you know, not, you know, only so much mm. if uh, you can add to the pictures. I think sometimes there is, you say, you know, don't say, oh, that's, you know, that's gone for four. I think sometimes there is, in a, in a commentary, you sometimes have to sort of confirm what the what the viewer is seeing a little bit sometimes. If you didn't say anything, if, you know, if, if the ball ran into the rope and you didn't say anything, people say, well, hold on, I, I know it's a four, but you, you sort of have to 
gives some idea of the impact of that boundary to the, mm. to the overall yeah. match or yeah. the over or whatever. I think you have to, you, you know, you do have to sort of go with that confirmation. But yeah, yeah. as much as possible, try to add, try to add to the pictures rather than say the obvious. Right. So I'm now going to give you some examples of commentary, sports commentary. Um, the first one is perhaps a little bit extreme. And then after that, we'll hear some slightly more uh, masterly ones. OK, so this one, I mean, brace yourself for this, because this is the sort of extreme version of sports commentary. Aí aparece o Cleberson de novo, já parte pela direita. Cafu já partiu na velocidade. Ele cortou para o meio, lá vem o Cleberson. Rivaldo saiu para o Ronaldinho, para a direita, bateu. Gol! Brasil! What would, what would happen to you if you if you were commentating on a test match and you know uh, uh Owen Morgan a one day match and Owen Morgan hit a massive six and you shouted like that would you get sacked <laughs> I don't know actually I think I think everyone's allowed to develop their own individual style my theory about the commentators shout goal is they're actually buying themselves some time so they can work out who's actually scored that goal that's what that was one of my theories but it becomes vogue doesn't it that sort of commentary you're expected to deliver that sort of commentary if a, if a goal goes in yeah actually um i think i think it's good breath control there as well <laughs> i thought uh, it's like that uh, whenever i hear a, a bit of commentary like that it reminds me of that singer bill withers and the lovely day song where he just goes lovely day and he keeps he keeps going i've often counted how long that whole last and it's about 24 seconds so you know maybe you need to, to be a brazilian football commentator you need good breath control now let's let's hear some slightly more cerebral commentary these are two favorite clips of mine by two outstanding commentators the first one uh, you'll recall from the 2005 ashes the conclusion of that game and then the second one i don't think it needs any introduction so have a listen to these two Kasprovic, the man to go, and Harmison has done it to spare on the faces of the batsmen and joy for every England player on the field. But here it is, folks. This is the moment. It's Archer to Guttel. Two to win. Guttel's going to push for two. They've got to go. It's gone through. It's going to go to the keeper's end. Go on, go on. Yeah! Well, that that was actually uh, recorded in the VT truck. Yeah, it was in the truck at the World Cup final where we were producing the analysis. And so all that cheering was all the VT operators, the videotape operators. But for me, the two people that I've worked with who are the best, and I'm sorry not to have you, Simon, in this in this group of two is Ian Smith and, and Richie Benno because they they are so pared down with their words and they're actually the great thing about Smith I think in particular is he always tried to find a new way of saying things you know he's got the lovely turns of phrase and but 
he says he goes to the game every day sort of trying to think okay there's about there's going to be lots of boundaries and lots of wickets and lots of twos and ones and different incidents i'm going to try and think of new ways to describe those rather than the old cliches uh i mean what do you think of that and do you do that i think that's that's really good advice actually uh I, I, one of the things i try to do is I, I try to, you know, there's so many cliches in sport. You know, people talk about maximum. That's a, that's a, that's a cliche for me. Those little phrases, words, whatever that, that people use in commentary to try to get rid of all of those. So I get actually really annoyed with myself if I find myself reaching for a cliche. And I totally agree with you. Try to find a different way of saying something. It's not easy because, you know, you're, you're sort of seeing the same thing over and over again in a way just in in a different order so that i think that's that's brilliant advice in in terms you know lots of people do preparation for mm. their commentary but actually thinking about trying to explain the game or talk about the game in a different way a way you haven't heard before is a fantastic mm. piece of advice mm. I, I mean benno was was always fascinating to to watch at work because he 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 did a lot of preparation but he didn't prepare phrases he just prepared his knowledge and he used to sort of set himself up in the corner of the commentary box with his little, what I called his nest. It was his nest. It was his little uh, Tupperware box of uh, sandwiches. Um, he, he loved banana sandwiches for some reason. Uh, and, and then he had this laptop with this uh, screensaver of a train chugging across it. And he's copied the Racing Post and he's copied Tom Smith's uh, scoring and umpiring the laws of the game, the sort of Bible about the laws of the game, really. And he always had that uh, close to hand as well. And, you know, he would often be sort of typing when he wasn't actually commentating. He'd often be typing away, uh, but, he, but he noted everything. He never missed a thing. He seemed to have this ability to his eyes seemed to sort of roll round the side of his head and always pick out something sort of that seemed to be happening in a corner of the ground he didn't seem to appear to be looking at. You know, so his attention to detail was immense. And and Smith the same. I mean, in the end, you need that passion, don't you, to want to watch the game. So some of the kind of less good commentators are people who are famous, but they actually don't like watching cricket very much. So they miss a lot. So therefore, they probably come out with a lot of cliches. Here's a question from uh, Jim. He says, hi, both. Uh, Simon... Man, you are expected to deliver to a commentary brief, or if you're expected to deliver to a commentary brief, what's the brief from BBC Radio? Well, I don't think there is. I mean, I don't think I am expected to deliver to a commentary, but I think you you have your own ideas about how your commentary should sound, and you work to that brief, really, Jim. And my sort of template is that I want to every ball, I want to dis, I want to give as full a description as possible from the moment the bowler runs into ball and deliver the ball to the moment the ball is dead. So I, I, I see it as a sort of, I've often explained this as a sort of piece of elastic. So I want to get from one end of the elastic to the other. And sometimes that elastic is smaller. So for example, if a spinner's on and you're, you're involved in a good story and your summarizer telling a good story, you might say uh, X bowls and B blocks it back down the pitch, no run. So that's a really short piece of piece of description, but you might find uh, you, you know, uh, X runs into bowl that's clipped away to deep back with square leg. So you've got a very clear description of of where the ball has gone. It's picked up by Y, who throws it on, on the bounce to the wicketkeeper. One run to the total, 116 for two. So there's your there's your sort of piece of elastic if you want. And within that, that is the that is the basic. That's the blocks 
of your commentary and that is the that is the sort of the foundation stone of everything really and once you've done that and everything else you can you can build on top of it the stories the color um the the, the recap uh, the you know the conversation um that, that goes around a, a cricket commentary that is how i uh, that's how i try to approach it mm. yeah good um not 50 for one 44 45 to win from 41 balls coasting along here looking like they're going to eliminate lancashire from it um we just let's just listen to a <clears throat> slightly alternative view about you know the art of commentary from as i told you before one of the most recognisable voices and, and faces of the game. I went up to to visit him actually last week um, in North Yorkshire in a, a place called Boston Spa. Some of you might know it. It is, of course, Jeffrey Boycott. And one of the uh, little questions I asked him, and I've just seen there uh, Alex Hale beautifully bowled by a really good leg break that uh, spun past his uh, little propped forward defence and knocked his off stump over. So... He's gone for 29. Um, here's Jeff Boycott. And, and I, I talked to him about his commentary and when he first started commentating and what he learned from it. In fact, he said that he first commentated in about the 1970s and was then given little bits of advice and, and really got in. He really enjoyed his first few stints at it and then obviously got into it properly when he retired. So this is explaining, firstly, what he got uh, from his first few goes and then what he learned as a result. And that was the first bit. I liked it. And from then on, I always thought, yeah, I wanted to do that. I mean, there's many people want to do it better than my dad working down a coal mine, isn't it? But it's, are you any good at it? That you never know. So I asked advice to Richie Benno and Jim Laker. Jim Laker was a good man, top man. Richie's good. If you ask Richie, always helpful. And uh, I remember what he said to me then. Uh, he said, people can see while watching television what's happening. Just saying it's a good shot. Well, they can see whether it's a good shot or a bad shot. And you get out. Don't say the obvious. Try and give them something that adds to their enjoyment. I mean, today a lot have got in the habit of talking as if they're doing radio commentary, don't they? Partly because they are at the yeah. same time. Yes, and they forget that there are two different mediums. And television, nearly everybody that watches television has some idea about the game, some a very good idea. They've all played at school or club cricket or maybe are still playing. So they're not dumplings, they all know. I always try to talk to them as if it's my brother or my uncle or, and, and try and keep quiet a bit. Let them watch. Try and say something that enhances their watching and and you became uh, you know well known for your obviously sort of straightforward analysis and blunt kind of a, a appreciation of the game but but also for some some regular words and phrases you know you, i could have caught that in the mother's pinny yeah. you know stick a rhubarb corridor of uncertainty where did those all come from just instinct. I didn't work at them. I've never worked at anything. I haven't sat down and with a paper and pen and writing phrases down that I'll use tomorrow or next day. I study the game, always have. I've been in love with the game all my life, still are. I love it. I can watch cricket. Even though I've played 25 years, commentated 30, I love it. So it's not a hardship for me to watch cricket. It really isn't. I really enjoy it. 
And I actually like reading about the history, the great players of the past and things they're doing and get a, a feel for what they were like. And I think if I had to say something about the, the modern day player, he, he doesn't read enough about the past, which is a shame, really. It, it doesn't, doesn't put them in the shadow, but it's it, nice to know about what other people did. Because it's such a rich history, isn't it? Yeah, oh, you say to people about, you heard of Sidney Francis Barnes? Who's he? You know, for, for I know he might be the road sweeper. They've no idea who he is. He's probably the greatest bowler that's ever bowled for England. They haven't a clue. And I think that's sad, isn't it? Well, there you are. There's Jeffrey's uh, view about it. I like the way he says uh, sometimes he keeps quiet. <laughs> Can't shut him up in the commentary box normally. But, uh, you know, there are, some, uh, there are some sage words there. And actually, I like his point about history. I do think that the young players, uh, you know, the modern player, doesn't really know much about the history of the game. Do you agree with that? Mm. Uh, well, difficult, difficult to know, actually. I mean, I think there are some what they call cricket badgers out there who do yeah, know true. a lot about the game. And others, yeah, they, they think that the game was invented about five years ago. Well, I suppose in a way, it sort of was, wasn't it, with T20, well, I say five years ago. I mean, in, you know, in a strange way, you know, we have a completely different game now. We, you know, we, we, we've been watching the IPL, watching the Blast today. Uh, Chennai Super Kings have won by 10 wickets. Uh, beating the really? Kings. Yeah, wow. 10, 10 wickets with 2.2 overs to spare. 181 for no wicket. Watson and Duplessis with that stand of 181. So, you know, in a sense, the game has, you know, it, it was invented, uh, what, 2003, was it? 2004? And, 2003, well, yeah. 2020, I mean, yeah. 2020 yeah. wasn't invented then because we all played it growing up as kids. Yeah. But, yeah, mm. what we know as professional get, get t20 was invented in 2003 yeah, yeah. um yeah. Mm. You know, so yeah so in a sense but i mean there, there is such a, a rich history and uh, i know jeffrey's you know he loved, he's in love with sf barnes because he was a you know wonderful bowler at sort of start of the, the 20th century and uh, we i, mm. I think one of, one of the great things for, for people watching the game now is when we talk about uh, you know, Michael Holding or Malcolm Marshall. It's all there, isn't it? But I, one of the, I would love to be able to go back and watch the, the Bodyline series, you know, in, in the mm. way we go back and watch the 2005 Ashes or the 1981 Ashes. You'd love to be able to go back and watch the whole series or highlights of the whole series. Um, so mm. all that stuff in the past does seem a bit dim and distant, I think, to us because we, we probably, you know, we can't see it. Well, that's one of our ideas, isn't it, is that we're going to actually, in this new venture, we're going to, at some point uh, during the winter, we're going to start maybe watching some old replays of games which we can all access. So perhaps uh, actually watching some highlight reels of the 2005 Ashes together would be quite fun. Brilliant catch there on the boundary. Uh, has got rid of another Nottinghamshire wicket, Skyer, to long off. So oh, Nottinghamshire just faltering here at 39-3 now. And uh, sorry, 59 for three, rather. So, um, they still need another 36 to win. The batsman there completely lost his grip on the bat, uh, skied it to, to long off. I, I, as I say, I went to visit Jeffrey actually, and uh, I'll just show you this is the picture. I'm mean, talking of sort of history and being aware of history, he's very aware of his own history. Um, if we have a look at um, this picture here, I'll just show you this was taken in his sitting room. Hopefully you can see that, everybody. Um, we were nicely masked up and, of course, socially distanced. Well, not really, I suppose. But notice the, uh, the lovely portrait behind him in his uh, main kitchen, admiring his on-drive. 
um, every day when he gets up. He was in good uh, good shape, actually. Generally, um, he, he he seemed, you know, generally in in, in good health. Uh, he was being quite careful, but um, you know, sensibly so. And uh, we're going to run some more of his interview in the next week or so um, on the podcast uh, to keep uh, the, the build up to his 80th birthday, which is the 21st of October. Mm. Yeah, well, he's um, he, he's had a, a, a massive impact on the game, hasn't he? Both as a as a player and a commentator over the years. Uh, and you know, we used to we used to play a, a little game which is called Boycott Bingo on Test Match Special, which is, you know, when, whenever those phrases come up, you know, you, you sort of you mark your your bingo card and someone actually sent in a boycott bingo cake once with all the all the little phrases on it. It was an in, in, incredible thing, you know, like catch it in your mother's pity or coronal yeah. certainty and all those sorts of things. I love that story. Actually, he said once that two young Yorkshire players came to pick him up because he used to live with his mum till his mother died, sadly, in nineteen seventy-eight. So when he was sort of a middle in his mid twenties, early thirties, he still lived with his mum. And uh, Neil Hartley and Kevin Sharp, I think, two young Yorkshire players, went to pick him up from uh, home one day to take him to the game. And uh, they knocked at the door, and Mrs. Boycott, the mum, answered, and uh, she's only about five foot one or something. And so one of them said, blimey, Mrs. Boycott, you're not very big for all those runs and wickets you score, <clears throat> which he didn't quite understand. But uh, I think we all know exactly what they meant by um, the, the number of times he used to say, well, you know, my mum could have hit that with, with her clothes prop. We've got a question here, actually, as um, it looks like Lancashire lost another, uh, Nottinghamshire lost another wicket, 61 for four, Joe Clark gone for 17. So they need 34 from 30 balls now. Just a little bit of, get it. You know, of of a wobble. They should get it, but they've lost four wickets. Uh, a question here, changing subject slightly. Um, do you both agree with Chris Wokes being voted the NatWest PCA Men's Player of the Year? And I think, well, I certainly do. Uh, I think um, I think he's he's been so consistent. He's Mister Reliable for England, isn't he? And if you look at the the performances in the Test matches, uh, not only does he average better than both Anderson and Broad at home, his wickets taken at 22? But also, of course, he made that match-winning 84 not out against Pakistan to bail England out and, and, and seal that series. So, and actually, you know, his fielding is, is so safe. His bowling is always incredibly reliable. He plays uh, second fiddle to, to the Broads and the, and the Andersons, but he never complains. He's just one of cricket's great guys that deserves all the awards he gets yeah yeah definitely yeah uh, a, a re really decent man and a, and, a, and a very good cricketer you're right he's one of those he's one of those cricketers who he's sort of always a bit under the radar he's sort of overshadowed i suppose by anderson broadby had a great summer with the ball and he he helped win england a test match well a test series really because that series against pakistan finished one nil lots of rain in the last two games and you know Pakistan could easily have, have have won the series because that was that was basically the decider that first Test match. Mm. And, and and actually, you know, all round uh, stats pretty good. Ten uh, county hundreds and one Test hundred. But uh, uh, it's it's his this is sort of evergreenness, isn't it? He's just a perennial fixture in the team. Gets on with his job. Never kind of makes a song and dance or any histrionics about bowling from into the wind or the, the end it's not very favourable with a slightly older ball or whatever. And 
I suppose, you know, in an era when um, if, if, if there wasn't a Ben Stokes, he would be England's best all-rounder. He would have been one of England's best all-rounders that ever lived, uh, probably, because, but, but he's overshadowed because of the presence of Stokes. Yeah. He, well, he's, he's, a, he's a fine cricketer. I suppose the challenge for him now is, you know, can he make, can he turn some of the good stats in England into good stats abroad? You know, you think of the Ashes series coming up and uh, winter after this one, uh, you know, he, he was there last time and Braun Anderson were there last time and England did not, you know, they couldn't make any inroads in the Australian batting lineup uh, with the presence of Archer. Uh, can they, you know, can they actually put some pressure on Australia this time? That, that's going to be the next challenge. It's interesting actually listening to Jimmy Anderson talking about, and Stuart Broad actually, he, he was saying that about bowling in Australia, the key to doing well as a bowling side in Australia, is having runs on the board. He's almost like saying it's over to the batsmen. They've really got to make the massive scores, the 500s, the 600s, which is, of course, what Australia did against England last time in the, in the Ashes in Australia, Steve Smith rattling out all those runs. So it's almost like saying, you know, it, it is hard to bowl in Australia. It is, a, it is sort of a batsman's game. So our batsmen need to make the most of it. They need to go big. And I think that's, that's going to be that's part of England's template for trying to do well in the Ashes. But um, hopefully, lots more cricket before then. And the big challenge of uh, of India and a, a challenge from Sri Lanka. But we do, we don't quite know when the international cricket is going to be played. We hope there's no. international cricket, but we don't quite know. Uh, it hasn't been finalised yet. No, it hasn't. And we had Ashley Giles on this show the other day, uh, just talking about the winter and you know winter plans and really you know being very much not sure, hoping to go England, hoping to go to South Africa in possibly November. I mean, this uh, IPL is going to take out some of the players. Um, Stokes has just arrived. He's going to get seven games in, but the IPL doesn't finish till the 10th of November. And they're not going to really want to schedule anything before that. And then Christmas comes qu- fairly quickly after that. And then they're planning to go to Sri Lanka and India in the new year. So it's a, it's a busy potential, but uh, who knows with the, uh, the pandemic, you know, coming and going and fluctuating. My daughter's house in Durham have all got it now. So uh, yeah, we're, we're next, I guess. <laughs> you don't sound great today, but you said you're not not COVID. Now, one guy that we've been trying to protect uh, very recently, particularly from COVID, is someone that uh, I'm just going to take the story briefly away from cricket, actually, uh, and make it very topical because the guy that uh, that my partner and I have been sharing a house with for the last sort of couple of months is a man called Stephen Scullion who is Ireland's best marathon runner. And today, in the London Marathon, he broke the Irish record. Uh, he came 11th in the elite men's race, so just behind all the Kenyans who were the stars of the show, but only about three minutes behind. He finished with a time of just under t- two hours, 10 minutes, which is astonishingly uh, 19.6 kilometres an hour uh, speed for the whole race. Incredible, isn't it? Amazing. I mean, amazing. Uh, and he's he's very dedicated. He, he, quite often he goes up to bed, you know, at sort of 10 o'clock at night, and he says, oh, no, no, in the afternoon, actually. He'll go and do a training run, and then he'll go to bed at sort of four. And he says, I'm off to bed. It's work, you know, he says. Because, mm. uh, you know, sleep is, is a very important part of his preparation. Anyway, today, not only did he, as I say, break the Irish record with his run, but also he became second fastest man marathon level in Europe because only one person, non-Kenyan or Ethiopian, 
got into the top 15. Uh, and he he came 11. So anyway, I thought just out of interest, I saw him after the race. He came home briefly to uh, collect his things before, <clears throat> I think, going out on a big bit of a razzmatazz uh, celebration. So I just thought I'd um, ask him a, a couple of questions about the whole uh, experience. And, and this is what he said. You've broken the Irish record in the London Marathon. Yeah. Do you realise you're now the second fastest marathon runner in Europe? How does that make you feel? Yeah, I feel pretty good. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's been a lot of hard work, but it's really nice when um, days like today come off. And um, I guess we all have ideas about how good we can think or how good we think we can be. But to be able to go out there and actually show it on a stage like London, it's super, super impressive. Really happy. And, and what about the weather? How did you deal with that? Yeah, I think it made it more of a more of a mental battle, and um, you know, at, at some parts of the race, I really didn't deal with it that well. I was pretty negative uh, mentally, but um, yeah, I guess you just have to deal with whatever you're given, and you could be negative about it, or you could be really positive that, given the current COVID situation, we're we're out there racing, and that's really good. What was the hardest part? What's the hardest stage? Um, I would probably say probably from like mile 14 to mile 18 or 19 when you're still a little bit away from sniffing the finish line, you could say. But, you know, the race is really starting to get a bit tough. Legs are starting to get tough. Today, the legs were getting cold. The arms were getting cold. Um, yeah, probably mile 14 to 19. And how did you get through it then? Um, I just... <laughs> I, I because do you're on your own, and, weren't you? Yeah, I was on my own. Yeah, no, I, I do my best to just talk my psychology around and um, one mile at a time, um, get through one mile. And I, I actually told one of the boys today that you have to kind of ignore what's going on physically. And if you get through the next mile and it looks pretty good, you say, oh, nice, I'm still going okay. And um, that's kind of quite reassuring. Can you get quicker? Absolutely. Yeah, I'll get quicker in my next one. Maybe maybe if I get some nice weather. I never get bloody nice weather, but um, yeah, I'll go faster. Because I've realized that you run 19 kilometers an hour uh, rate for 26 miles. I can't even keep up with that on the bike. I think it's 19.7. Oh, sorry. So nearly 20. Yeah, nearly, nearly 20, 20 kilometers. Now, but yeah. I can't even do that on a bike for 15 minutes. So well, what, what, advice, what advice have you got for me then? Um... Ah, look, it's all about consistency, you know, like you're training once or twice a day, you're going the altitude, but not everybody has to do that. Like, There's not much just, altitude in Bushy No, Park. just consistency, just keep putting it in and keep learn things, research, Google, figure it out. You could probably change your seat height and change the pedals. And you'd be faster. <laughs> change the bike, maybe. Yeah, maybe change the bike, yeah. I'm, what are you going to do now? <laughs> um, take a bit of recovery. No, I mean um, actually right. Now. Oh, I'm going into hip pints in London. I'll, I'll put like an eight pint limit maybe. And, we'll it's, and it's going to be Guinness, presumably. If they have it, yeah. I'll, I'll, I hope so. But I might, I'll have one Guinness, and if it's not up to scratch, then I'll just have to have beer. Well, well done. We're very proud Thank of you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks very much. Have a good night. Yeah. You deserve it. Right, Simon, buddy. Cheers, mate. Yeah, appreciate Oh, God. What an feat. What an amazing event. And now he's going to paint the town red. Eight pints after running the marathon. Well, you've got to put the fluid back somehow, haven't you? I mean, don't blame him. And I'll tell you what, he says, change, maybe change the bike to, to make me go faster. I think just change the person, actually, is maybe uh, more sensible. Amazing athlete, though. And, and sleep is, is very much one of the things he does. And sleep, massage, obviously training runs and things. But that's a fantastic feat. That's Stephen Scullion 
who now holds the the new Irish record for the London Marathon, and yeah, uh, impressive. Watch watch out for him. He's he's going to be in the Olympics. Uh, he doesn't actually. He's not in the GB Olympic team because he runs for Ireland, which is a sort of weird anomaly, even though it's Northern Ireland. So uh, anyway, he's a very talented athlete and a, a lovely guy, and I'm sure he'll be quite drunk in the next um, few hours. Um, so I think that we, we're just watching the conclusion of this uh, Nottingham-Shilankershire game, which was uh, very interesting, actually. But Dan Christian hit four sixes off Liam Livingston and uh, put the game pretty much out of reach of Lancashire. And then he got out. Uh, but they've just won now. Knots Outlaws have won by five wickets. Uh, the, Matt Parkinson has been hit back over his head for four to conclude that match. So the Knots Outlaws win. It's been quite an entertaining uh, little uh, 11 over spell that actually with lots of sixes and quite a few wickets as well it was full on action but uh, Lancashire eliminated and not to through to the final to play Surrey which will take place I guess you know in about half an hour's time so it's full on at Edgebaston um, we'll, we'll leave them to it um, just one little sort of note for your diary really is um, I mentioned boycott and I mentioned interviews. So we've, we've actually put him on the cover of the magazine anyway, um, which I'll just show you. There it is. Can you see that? Yeah. Um, nice cover boycott at 80. We also focus actually on Somerset and Essex, who are the two we've named them the sort of two cricket superpowers really um, in county cricket uh, because they sort of keep performing so well. Uh, in the county championship and there were the two finalists of course in that uh, Bob Willis trophy as well so um I think that's it for today Simon um what what have you got any closing thoughts about um this experience well it's been great to um have everyone with us and to answer your questions what was Andrew Fothergill saying because you're old it needs to be exciting for the younger generation to watch it Obviously. Yeah, I, I, I think that was just a bit of abuse, basically, right. saying we're we're old and boring. And he's probably, it may mean he switched off, I don't know. But uh, he might have learned something. He might have learned what the art of reverse swing was and uh, why he kept dropping the ball down the leg side when he was playing for Durham. But he was actually a guy who lifted the team superbly. So it's been great to have him on, actually, uh, even if it was only brief. He, he was an inspiration to play with, uh, full of jokes and... Uh, just enthusiasm generally. And we've had Jim Hindson on as well, actually, who, who played for Notts. So he'll be uh, a bit uh, elated after that uh, slightly unexpected victory by Notts to beat Lancashire there, actually. So um, just one other thing to say, really, is that, um, as we said, we're going to start this as a series. And uh, we've got some quite nice uh, guests lined up. So um, we'll probably do it on a Thursday night, uh, sort of seven o'clock at night. And we'll post on social media when we're doing this uh, sequence again. And we're trying to keep you interested and engaged in the, the art of the, the, the game, the game of cricket, which we love so much. Try and get your chat, your feedback, and anything else you, you want to talk about, we want to try and discuss with you. So I hope you've enjoyed tonight. Simon, thanks for being with us. Pleasure. And thanks for everyone who joined us as well. Sean, I say, says he enjoyed it and uh, looking forward to more in the future. We're, we're looking forward to having you with us, Sean. Yeah, thank you very much for everybody who attended. And if you're listening to the podcast, thanks also for listening. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Sports 
Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.